0: Chapter 9 of Jacqueline of Golden River by h m Egbert. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Chapter 9 The Fungus. My rest was miserable. In a succession of brief dreams, I fled with Jacqueline over a wilderness of ice, while in the distance, ever drawing nearer, followed Leroux, Lacroix, and Père Antoine. I heard Jacqueline's despairing cries as she was torn from me, while my weighted arms, heavier than lead, drooped helplessly at my sides, and from afar Simon mocked me. Then ensued a world without Jacqueline, a dead eternity of ice and snow. I must have fallen sound asleep at last, FOR WHEN I OPENED MY EYES, THE SUN WAS SHINING BRIGHTLY LOW DOWN OVER THE RIVIERE DOOR. THE DOOR OF THE TENT STOOD OPEN, AND JACQUELINE WAS NOT INSIDE. WITH THE REMEMBRANCE OF MY dream STILL CONFUSING REALITY, I RAN TOWARD THE TREES, SHOUTING FOR HER IN FEAR. JACQUELINE! JACQUELINE! I CALLED. SHE WAS COMING TOWARD ME. SHE TOOK ME BY THE ARM paul she began with quivering lips paul she led me into the recesses of the pines there in a little open space clustered together upon the ground were the bodies of our dogs all were dead and the soft forms were frozen into the snow which the poor creatures had licked in their agony so that their open jaws were stuffed with icicles jacqueline sank down upon the ground and sobbed as though her heart would break i stood there watching my brain paralyzed by the shock of the discovery then i went back to the sleigh on the rear of which the frozen fish was piled i noticed that it had a faint slightly aromatic odor i flung the hard masses aside and scooped up a powdery substance with my hands Mycology had been a hobby of mine, and it was easy to recognize what that substance was. It was the ammonita, the deadliest and the most widely distributed of the fungi, and the direst of all vegetable poisons to man and beast alike. The alkaloid which it contains takes effect only some hours after its ingestion when it has entered the bloodstreams and begun its disintegrating action upon the red corpuscles. The dogs must have partaken of it on the preceding afternoon. Jacqueline joined me. The tears were streaming down her cheeks. She slipped her arm through mine and looked mutely at me. I knew this was LaRue's work. He had tricked me again i had seen clusters of the frozen fungus outside st boniface i suppose that when winter comes suddenly such growths remain standing till spring thaws and rots them retaining in the meanwhile all their noxious qualities it would have been an easy matter for one of Larue's agents to have cast a few handfuls of the deadly powder over the fish while the sleigh stood waiting outside danton's door and the jolting of the vehicle would have shaken the substance down into the middle of the heap, so that it would be three or four days before the dogs got to the poisoned fish. I was mad with anger. The white landscape seemed to swim before my eyes. I meant to kill the man now, and without mercy. I would be as unscrupulous as he. He would be in this place by the afternoon, I would wait for him outside the trail. My pistols—' Jacqueline was looking up into my face in terror. The sight of her recalled me to my senses. LaRue afterward—first, my duty to her. "'Paul, what is the matter, Paul?' she cried. "'I never saw you look like that before.' I calmed myself and led her away and presently we were standing before the fire again. "'Jacqueline,' I said, "'it is easier to go on than to turn back now.' She watched me like a lip-reader. "'Yes, Paul, let us go on,' she answered. So we went on. But our journey was to be very different now. There was no possibility of taking much baggage with us. We took a few things out of our suitcases and disposed them about us as best they could. The heavy sleeping bags would have made our progress, encumbered as we were with our fur coats, too slow. But I had hopes that we would reach the trappers' huts that afternoon, and so decided to discard them in favor of the fur-lined sleigh rug, which would, at least, keep Jacqueline warm. So we strapped on our snowshoes, and I made a pack and put three days' supplies of food in it, and fastened it on my shoulders, securing it with two straps from the harness. I rolled the rug into a bundle and tied it below the pack, and thus equipped, we left the dead beasts and the useless sleigh behind us for LaRue's satisfaction, and set out briskly upon our march. It is a strange thing, but no sooner had I passed out of sight of the sleigh than, weighted though I was, I felt my spirits rising rapidly. The freedom of movement and the exhilarating air gave my mind a new sense of liberty, and Jacqueline, who had been watching me anxiously, seeing the gloom disappear from my face, tried first to tempt me to mirth, and then to match me in it, Sometimes we would run a little way, and then we would fall back into our steady, ambling plod once more. The cold was less intense, but looking at the sky, which was heavily overcast, I knew that the rise in temperature betokened the advent of a heavy fall of snow, probably before night. We were merrier than at any previous time, having by tacit agreement resolved to put our troubles behind us. Jacqueline laughed gaily at my clumsy attempts to avoid tripping myself upon my snowshoes. We stopped to look at the trees and the traces of deer croppings upon the bark. Sometimes we took to the riverbed, and then again we paced among the trees, which were now becoming so sparsely scattered that the trail was hardly discernible. This caused me no concern, however, for I believed that when we reached the huts we should be able to obtain certain information as to the remainder of our course. And though I knew that LaRue was behind, and that he would press forward the more impetuously when he discovered the success of his deadly ruse, I did not seem to care. Above me was the pale sun, the glow of health was in my limbs and beside me walked Jacqueline. We must have covered at least a dozen miles or more at the time when we stopped for a brief midday meal. I was a little fatigued from carrying the pack, and my ankles ached from the snowshoes, but Jacqueline, who had evidently been accustomed to their use, was as fresh as when she started. I was glad of the respite, but we needed to press on, It was probable that Simon would camp by our dismantled sleigh that night. When we resumed our march, the character of the country began to change. Hitherto we had been traversing an almost interminable plain, but now a ridge of jagged mountains, bare at their peaks and fringed around the base with evergreens, appeared in the distance. The sky became more leaden, "'Suddenly we emerged from among the trees upon an almost barren plateau. "'And there again we halted for a breathing spell. "'All that morning I had been looking for the trapper's huts. "'I had already come to the conclusion that Mr. Danton's instructions were to be taken by and large, "'for we could not now be more than twenty-five miles from the chateau, "'and it was only here that the Riviere d'Or left us.' whirling in quick cascades, ice-free, among the rocks of its narrow bed, some distance east of us. There was, of course, the possibility that the distance had been understated, and that we were only now halfway, but I could not let my mind dwell upon that possibility. I scanned the horizon on every side. It had seemed to me all that day that our road was running uphill, But now, looking back, I was astonished to see how high we had ascended, for the whole of the vast plain across which we had been traveling lay spread out like a wrinkled tablecloth before my eyes. In that gray light, which shortened every distance, it almost seemed that I could discern the slope of the St. Lawrence far away, and the hills, foot spurs of the mighty Laurentian range, that bordered it. THE MOUNTAINS WHICH WE WERE APPROACHING SEEMED QUITE NEAR, AND I KNEW THAT BEYOND THEM LAY THE seigniory. I RESOLVED TO TAKE MY bearings STILL MORE ACCURATELY, AND TELLING JACQUELINE TO WAIT FOR ME A FEW MINUTES AT THE BASE OF A HILL AND SETTING DOWN MY PACK, I BEGAN THE ascent ALONE. THE CLIMB WAS LONGER THAN I HAD ANTICIPATED. MY EYES WERE ACHING FROM THE GLARE OF THE SNOW. I had left my colored glasses behind me in the tent and gone on, saying nothing, though I had realized my loss when I was only a mile or so away. However, I hoped that the night would restore my sight, and so, dismissing the matter from my mind, I struggled up until at last I stood upon the summit of the hill. The view from this point was a stupendous one. New peaks sprang into vision shimmering in the sunlight patches of dark forest stained the whiteness of the land and far away like a thin winding ribbon among the hills i saw the valley of the riviere d'or i cried out in delight and lingered to enjoy the grandeur of the spectacle beneath me i saw jacqueline waiting a tiny figure upon the snow My heart smote me with a deep sense of reproach that I had put her to so much sacrifice. But I had seen the valley between those mountains, the only possible entrance to that mysterious land. Nothing could fail us now. I cast my eyes beyond her toward the mist-wrapped tops of the far Laurentians and the plains, and a sense of an inevitable fate came over me as I perceived far away a tiny crawling ant upon the snows, Simon LaRue's dog sleigh. I went back to the little patient figure that was waiting for me, and I took up my pack again and told her nothing. She stepped bravely out beside me, frozen, fatigued, but willing because I bade her, She did not ask anything of me. The sun dipped lower, and far away I heard the howl of the solitary wolf again. My mind had been working very fast during that journey down the hill, and long before I reached Jacqueline I had resolved that she should know nothing of the pursuit until the moment came when she must be told. That the pursuer was LaRue there could be no possible doubt. He had evidently passed the sleigh, and was undoubtedly pressing forward, elated and confident of our capture. But he must still be at least a dozen miles away. He could not reach us that night, and he could hardly travel by night. We should have a full day's start of him in the morning. I gripped my pistols as we strode along. We went on and on. The afternoon was wearing away. The sun was very low now, and all its strength had gone. The wolf followed us, howling from afar. Once I saw it across the treeless wastes, a gaunt, white, dog-like figure trotting against the steely gray of the sky. We ascended the last of the foothills before the trail dipped toward the valley which was guarded by two sentinel mountains of that jagged ridge before us. From the top I looked back. Simon was nowhere to be seen. "'Courage, Jacqueline!' I said, patting her arm. "'The huts ought to be here.' Her courage was greater than my own. She looked up and smiled at me, and so we descended and went on and on, and the sun dipped below the edge of the world. The wolf crept nearer, and its howls rang out with piercing strokes across the silence. My eyes ached so that I could hardly discern the darkening land, and the snow came down, not steadily, but in swirling eddies blown on fierce gusts of wind. And suddenly, raising my eyes despairingly, I saw the huts, They stood about 400 yards away from where the trail ran through the mountains. There were five of them, and they had not been occupied for at least two seasons, for the blackened timbers were falling apart, and the roofs had been torn off, all but one of them, no doubt for fuel. The wind was whirling the snow wildly around them, and it whistled through the broken, rotting walls. I flung my pack inside the roofed one and began tearing apart the timbers of another to make a fire. Jacqueline stood looking at me in docile faith. "'I can go on,' she said quietly. "'I can go on, Paul.' I caught her hands in mine. "'We shall stay here, Jacqueline,' I said." She did not answer me, but, opening the pack, began the preparation of our meal, which consisted of some biscuits left from the night before, when we had made a quantity on the wood ashes. We made tea over the roaring flames, and sat listening to the wolf's call and the wind that drove our fire in gusts of smoke and flame. The wind grew fiercer. It was a hurricane it drowned the wolf's call it almost silenced the sound of our own voices thank god that we had at least our shelter in that storm i scooped out a bed for jacqueline inside the snow-filled hut and spread it with the big sleigh robe she lay down in her fur coat and i wrapped the ends around her i looked into her sweet face and marveled at its serenity her eyes closed wearily. But, though I was as tired as she, I could not sleep. I crouched over the fire, pondering over the morrow's acts. Should I wait for LaRue and shoot him down like a dog if he molested us? Or should we hide among the hills and watch him pass by? But that would avail us nothing. If we went on, we must encounter him, and the sooner the better. This problem and a fiercer one filled my mind, for my soul was as storm-beset as the hut whose planking shook under the gale's force. I realized how incongruous my position was. I had no status at all. I was accompanying a runaway wife back to her father's house, perhaps to meet her husband there, and whether LaRue held me in his present power or not inexorably i was heading for his own objective end of chapter nine recording by roger Moline.